You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss The Devil Wears Prada, which came out in 2006. Miranda Priestley is the editor-in-chief of Runway. So you don't read Runway? No. Not to mention a legend. And before today, you'd never heard of me? No. You work a year for her, and you can get a job at any magazine you want. You have no style or sense of fashion. I, I... No, no. That wasn't a question. It was directed by David Frankel. It stars Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, Stanley Tucci, Emily Blunt, Adrian Grenier, Tracy Thoms, and Simon Baker. The genre would be workplace comedy drama. Happy 15th anniversary to one of those films that just came out of nowhere to shock everyone with its acclaim and success. Myself included. I didn't even see it for another six to nine months after it came out on DVD. And for the first time since then, I recently rewatched it with my daughter. And this was the first time I had seen this since it first came out. It's funny, but I remember Meryl actually being in it more. But Meryl's presence looms large over every minute of the film's runtime, and I guess that was the point. You see, for the three decades leading up to this film's release, Meryl Streep was already looked upon as one of our most respected actresses, if not the best actress walking the planet. Strangely, though, few folks ever saw most of her movies. She was kind of a household name, but without the box office to back it up. Even during the 90s, when she was trying to lighten up her image with some pretty strong comedies like Death Becomes Her and Postcards from the Edge, both films that I still really like, they were never particularly successful. But when this film became a surprise runaway blockbuster in the summer of 2006, that pretty much all changed. And she became Streep. She's now drawing folks opening weekend, and she was doing that for the next several years. She became a box office draw. Her films became events with folks eager to see how she would take on tricky new acting challenges, like playing Margaret Thatcher, or playing Julia Child, or singing alongside Pierce Brosnan. That new renaissance for the actress all really kicked in with her performance as Miranda Priestly, and it's easy to see why. Her presence looms large over this film, even when she's off screen. It's her movie, even though Anne Hathaway is technically playing our protagonist, who's named Andrea. And Hathaway is good in this. She has always been a gifted comedian, and she's able to use her wide-eyed expression and awkward gait to almost, and I'm saying this, almost, mind you, convince you initially that she's playing the frumpy underdog who's so much less attractive than everyone else on screen, as we are told repeatedly by every other character, mainly because she's wearing a big loose sweater and is seen eating a bagel in the first scene. I swear, I'm watching this with my 14-year-old daughter. She was justifiably scoffing along with this saying, Seriously? How is she considered fat? <sighs> yeah, I know. Oh, Hollywood. Always doing so much to lift the self-esteem of a new generation of young women. Don't you ever change. I thought you would be different. I said to myself, go ahead. Take a chance. Hire the smart fat girl. But highly questionable tropes aside... This film is still a relatively fun rewatch. Stanley Tucci proves once again that he can honestly play anything or anyone effectively. 
even Hector Elizondo in this particular instance. And when I refer to Hector Elizondo, I mean the nice, older, bald, mentoring type who is just there to be a friend and be a confidant for our female protagonist. Like Elizondo was in Pretty Woman or Runaway Bride. You get it. And Emily Blunt, in a very early role of hers, she all but steals the movie. Her Emily, yeah, her her character's name Emily, I'm not sure why. She initially comes off as Andrea's arch rival, but actually becomes her mentor in a lot of ways, which is funny because her hyper-irritated manner with Andrea never changes. Emily Blunt is just a ramped-up comedic force in this. She brings a good amount of bite to every line of dialogue. Now, it is a mock-up of everything in the current issue. Mm-hmm. And we deliver it to Miranda's apartment every night. And she returns, don't touch it, she returns it to us in the morning with her notes. Yeah. Second assistant is supposed to do this, but Miranda is very private and she does not like strangers in her house. So until she decides that you're not a total psycho, I get the lovely task of waiting around for the book. But at the end of the day, this is still the Streep show. She dips into her bag of tricks to portray Miranda as generally a villain with some power, but never a caricature. This is someone who can wither everyone around her as often by not saying something as she can by telling them off. It speaks to just how impressive Streep's performance is that we never actually hear her raise her voice above mid-volume at best. One key scene is early on when she condescendingly but rationally explains to Andrea in front of everyone as to why fashion is so important. How decisions made at her magazine are filtered down to Andrea's choice for what color sweater to wear. It's one of those monologues where if you just read it, if you kind of just read what she's saying on paper, you're really not sure you buy it. But hearing Streep kind of half whisper it out, not losing a breath between any phrase, you find it easy to believe it is gospel. What you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue. It's not turquoise. It's not lapis. It's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. Now, the less said about the romantic subplot, the better. Adrian Grenier, who was the star of Entourage at the time, show on HBO, which everyone liked but me, he has to play the neglected boyfriend, and he's... He's fine. But honestly, when you have actors of such a high caliber, including Hathaway and Emily Blunt, in every other scene, who really cares about anything Grenier has to say? He's just completely out of his league with this cast. But bottom line, see this movie for the biting humor, the gorgeous outfits, the swanky New York City and Paris locations, Hathaway's megawatt smile and charm, and a breakout performance from Emily Blunt. But most of all, just see it from Meryl. And that brings us to the categories. The first category is Best Needle Drop. This would be the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is so essential to film. And this film has a pretty good soundtrack, a lot of stuff from the 90s and early 2000s, pop music, dance stuff. But if I had to pick one song, it would be Jump. Nope, not the Van Halen hit from the 80s, though that could have been fun. Nope, in a soundtrack filled with some really catchy pop standards from Moby, U2, Jamiroquai, this is the one song from the modern queen of pop needle drops herself, Madonna. Of course, an iconic film about fashion has to feature Madonna, right? This spunky dance tune plays early on when Andrea's racing to get Miranda coffee, and it just fits the pace and setting of the scene perfectly. 
That brings us to our next category, and that would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I'm going to throw a little wrinkle into the category this time. Just bear with me. In case you didn't notice with my previous snarky comments, I was never a fan of Adrian Grenier. So I just found his prominent role in this film to be a distraction. So given that, they couldn't find a better, more appealing young actor to play Hathaway's boyfriend in this? Seriously, I'll rewind back to 2006 and just try to go through several young actors who were in their mid-20s, around the same age as Hathaway, who were coming up there, who were more appealing. And, I mean, let's go through them. Jake Gyllenhaal, Cillian Murphy, Dev Patel, Chiwetel Ejiofor. He just actually did a movie with Hathaway earlier this year, and they were good together. Chris Evans, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Henry Cavill, Chadwick Boseman. He was in his mid-20s around this time. Ryan Gosling. Hell, Orlando Bloom. Here's an interesting one I was thinking of. Bear with me here in this one. Hayden Christensen. This was a year after he did Revenge of the Sith. Okay, listen, think about it. Think about Hayden Christensen with a better actor's director who actually directs him, because that wasn't the case in those Star Wars movies. We all know that. Christensen and probably a dozen other actors, including all the names I mentioned, they all qualify for what could have been an engaging role, but was unfortunately wasted on Vinny Chase, of all people. So the wasted talent category, it's been expanded a bit this time around. So let's just say this was more of a wasted role in this case. Next category is the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. This is the part of the movie that you want to show to somebody when you want to sell it to them. And for me, this has to be the party scene when both Andrea and Emily are both anchoring Miranda. They're walking behind her to feed her names and info on anyone headed her way at the party who she doesn't recognize. It is both a funny and suspenseful scene. And what's nice is that it showcases all three actresses together, genuinely bringing the heat acting-wise. And that key moment has to be when Emily is struggling to point out the person who's walking towards them. Emily's got a cold. She could barely spit it out. She's struggling. When suddenly Andrea, our heroine played by Anne Hathaway, quietly points out that he's an ambassador and he's with the woman he left his wife for. Boom. It's a key moment. It's a strong moment in a strong scene and the relationships between all three characters, they change in that very moment. Oh, um... Oh my god, I, I just can't remember what his name is. I, I just saw his name this morning on this. It's, oh, I know this. It's something to do with... Wait, he was he was part of it. Oh god, I, I know this. It's, um, it's Ambassador Franklin, and that's the woman that he left his wife for, Rebecca. Rebecca. And that's your trailer moment. And that brings us to our final category. MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. It's got to be Streep. As if there was any other answer. Her performance is what makes this film special, even with her limited screen time. Because she's actually not in the movie that much, but she's in it just the right amount. What about accessories for April? One thought I had was enamel, um, bangles, pendants, earrings. No, we did that two years ago. What else? Um, well, they're showing a lot of florals right now, so I was thinking I could florals? do for spring. Groundbreaking. But we thought about shooting them in an industrial space. We thought the contrast between the femininity of the florals and the more raw, rough human background would create this wonderful tension. With No. Miranda Priestley will always remain one of her most iconic characters, and for good reason. At the time that the original novel which this was based upon was written, Miranda Priestley was loosely based upon Anna Wintour, who was the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair, the fashion magazine. This also, actually, I believe this was also the case when the film came out as well. And at the time, she honestly had kind of a dark reputation, pretty harsh reputation. But the movie made that connection even more obvious. 
And here's the thing. Apparently, since this movie came out, and even though she's actually presented in it as the villain, Winter's image has actually improved. She loved the movie, and she became a bigger international celebrity. That's the power of Streep. My rating for this film would be three and a half out of five stars. I recommend it. I like it. It's a nice time capsule from 15 years ago. It holds up pretty well. It features one of our greatest, if not the greatest living actress. So I would highly encourage you to check it out. This film is available to rent on all streaming platforms. And if you are a subscriber to IMDb TV, which I believe is a free streaming service, you could also check it out there. And that ends this episode. And please subscribe to Living for the Cinema on all platforms where podcasts are available. You should also visit our new Facebook page, Living for the Cinema Podcast. Stay tuned and join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.